like the show? Want to listen to episodes early? Consider becoming a patron. Starting at the $3 a month level, patrons get access to a custom patron-only feed where we put out episodes of Upstairs Studio podcasts like the Child Care Bar and Grill, Miss Becky's Classroom, That Early Childhood Nerd, the Renegade Rules podcast, and others early. That feed is just for patrons. You could be one of them. Go to patreon.com slash playvolutionhq or click the link in the show description to learn more. Hi everyone, welcome to another episode of the Inspired Educator Podcast. You're joining me, Nicole Holton of Inspired NC, Inspired Family Daycare and Timbernook, Newcastle. I am super excited with how the podcast is going so far. Uh, I'm probably not the greatest at maintaining uh, regular episodes, shall we say, but hang on a minute, we've had, you know, Christmas break, all that kind of stuff. So, we're rolling on. 2020 is a new year. Who knows? Um, but we have got some great episodes lined up and we hope that you've loved the episodes so far. Uh, today's episode, I'm talking to Carrie Rose. So Carrie is a qualified early childhood teacher and the approved provider and pedagogical leader at Rosie's Early Learning, which is based in Queensland. Um, so their service has actually been awarded the excellent rating from CEQA in 2016 and in 2019. Um, over the last few years, they've developed, um, Carrie's developed a framework of inquiry-based programming, and that's what we're going to talk about today. Um, I was really interested when Carrie contacted me just to hear a little bit more uh, about that approach. Um, she particularly piqued my interest when she said that they had ditched portfolios, um, and I kind of gave a bit of a hallelujah, but I want to know more. Um, so that's what we're talking about today. We're really going to talk about um, what an inquiry-based program looks like, what that means for families and for children and for educators, um, and why it's important. So settle in, get ready for a wonderful, slightly longer than usual, because once we got talking, it was really hard to stop, um, chat with Carrie Rose. Enjoy. Thank you so much me on the Inspired Podcast. I'm really excited to talk to you today and find out more about what you're doing. So can you kick us off with a bit of a brief insight into how you came to be in early childhood, how you came to be in the role you're in now, the stuff that you're doing? Tell us a little bit more. Yeah, so uh, interestingly, I was the kid that um, used to grab their teddy bears and create the blackboard and put them all in a, you know, in their little chairs and teach them downstairs. And um, I remember so my mum always saying to me. children do that this weekend. Yeah. <laughs> so, moment. I watched them do that. Yeah. So um, I guess when I look back, I think, oh, wow, maybe this was something I was destined always to do. But um, 
I think also um, I played a lot of sport as, um, as a kid and as an adult, I still play, um, but I did a lot of coaching and I really loved coaching the juniors. And so I've got, I guess, a bit of a, a disposition, I guess, to really working in teams and collaborations and things like that. And so when I, um, I left school, I, I pretty much started as an assistant in a childcare centre and, um, and then did my diploma and became a group leader and really loved that. Um, really started to love the programming side of that. So then I decided to do my bachelor. Then I did an assistant director's position in, in some different services, um, did some teaching in preschool, coordinated um, at TAFE for nine years um, while my children were young, um, which was a really nice balance for me. Yeah. Um, and then when you have children and then work in early childhood, it's a hard thing. Yeah. Isn't it? When you've got young children, it's not a very flexible kind of role and no safe coordination was possibly a bit more flexible yes definitely and I think also um I wouldn't say I was burnt out but I was tired and so I I could feel it in me in me and I didn't want to lose my passion for it and so I started just to look at what other options might be around and so that that was a fantastic experience I had at South Bank um, and had some amazing people I worked with there so we coordinated the diploma and uh, Cert 3 and advanced diploma and was super exciting. So it was around the time too that universities um, and TAFEs were starting to negotiate pathways and recognition programs. So yeah, it was really good. It was a really cool time to kind of be doing that stuff and advocating for the students. Um, and then um, through just a range, I guess, of reasons, um, I I bought Rosie's and, um, and it was uh, 11 and a half years ago now, which yeah. really, every time I say that, <laughs> it kind of astonishes me. Um, and so, yeah, so I guess now in terms of the roles, I've also can tick the box of approved provider, yep. um, which is, um, you know, interestingly quite a different, it's, it's got so many similarities to my director's positions that I had held before, but of course, a ton more things, you know. <laughs> Responsibility. I know for us as we're a provider for our family daycare scheme and that, you know, it just brings an extra thing, doesn't it? You know, it's a whole extra level, you know, it's like yeah, it does. that stuff that you already were doing, but then we're just going to add a whole bunch more responsibility to. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, you know, I think when you're coming from that whole perspective of quality, um, you know, you're constantly questioning everything you're doing and you're thinking about where, how can I do this better? And so it's just like this, you know, sort of constant evolution. And yeah. I live in that world and I love that world, but then you've got all these other responsibilities that are boring and, you know, basses and yeah. other things you've got to do that, um, you know, you've got to try and balance. And so I think... Um, you know, I was the full-time director at the centre for the first um, eight years of Rosie's and um, worked there five days a week. I instilled in my, got my team, found everybody. And, um, you know, that's enabled me now to succession plan some really amazing educators into more leadership positions and yeah. um, to be able to be more of a, um, I guess, the pedagogical leader, which is the role I really wanted to hold there. So, um, yeah, so that's kind of where things are at now. And, I'm very embedded in the Logan community where the centre is yeah. and, um, and I'm part of some um, projects with First Five Forever and there's a, um, a community group, Logan Together, which is a big 10 million funding project in Logan. And so I've been able to um, manage the service, upskill the people so that they can run it at the quality I know that they will 
and so I can dip my toe into some of the other community kind of elements around the centre, which I've really loved as well. And how important do you think that community stuff is, you know, to early childhood services? Well, I think critical, and I think I think most people would say that, and and I would have said that even beforehand, and I would have even said maybe that I I was doing it well. I thought I was doing it okay beforehand, yeah. but now that I've I've done it in in Logan um, and in the way I'm doing it and, and I'm very integrated into things. Um, I realise now just how much I've learnt about the community that I would not know. I don't live in Logan and I'd never worked in Logan. Yep. So it's just, it's just like, you know, just outside of Brisbane. Um, I knew nothing about it other than I guess what the social perspectives of, of the community were, just like any suburb or any area. Yep. Um, and so I've really got to know um, I the service and the educators can really support families in a true and genuine way. And, and so I think, I think there's a difference between kind of just touching base with your local doctor or your, you know, your, your vet and, you know, they're great starts. They're really great starts. Um, I think the next step is finding actual organizations where you can join committees or you can attend, you know, action groups that are actually doing stuff in the community and you really learn so much more about it and yeah, it's just it's active, been critical active participation yeah. community isn't it rather than just paying lip service to we have that community program and we have that but it's actually yeah involved in you know having a say and you know understanding more about it isn't it yeah absolutely and i don't think um i, I really don't believe rosie's would be going as well as it is just in in the delivery of and how we've constructed everything around that without that knowledge i think yeah. you know we would still be probably not quite hitting the mark with where families and you know different um children you know where their needs or where their strengths are we we'd still be kind of guessing that so i feel very privileged to be able to do that that's for sure excellent oh, sounds exciting there's lots going on yeah yeah it is all right so <laughs> I'm absolutely busting to know a little bit more about inquiry-based planning. I want to know what it looks like, what it sounds like, what it feels like, how much work it is. I want to know the ins and the outs. Oh, yes. And I'm excited to tell you. <laughs> um, I think what I'm really excited about with the framework um, that we've created is that it's very different to, I guess, um, the the traditional lens that people look through you know where planning comes from and um i guess it, it's a it's a very much that strength-based approach to the to the programming and the education but there's a genuine kind of input and in leveraging from learning environments first and foremost so that's not new that's kind of yes of course people think about that but the i guess the way in which it's actually recorded documented is is really strongly presented there with the learning environments first and foremost um, we know that if that actually really is hitting the mark with children then that learning and the engagement will be very rich and deep which means then that beautiful snowball effect of then the documentation becomes very rich and the, the further planning does as well so we see them as those really skilled young citizens and so it really sort of values and appreciates and celebrates what they're doing so when they're engaging in that we're just constantly getting them to think about you know um i guess investigating and exploring but but even more so what are their essential kind of components of being a competent child who is this child and who are they and and where are their strengths and where is their strong identity and i think it takes time to really understand that. So if we're working in that inquiry 
based lens, we are really slowing that process down, which is what the Roseway stands for, reflect, observe, slow down, evolve. Yeah. And that's the planning that kind of sits around it. So it, it sees the educators as actual researchers and collating research. And there are research questions that are developed as part of the planning and intentional teaching mm -hmm. for the everyday work, not just it's sort of like it's not just that activity base that's happening over here. There are experiences and things that are happening, but the, the educators have a very focused lens on what they're actually looking for to document around some very deep kind of research questions. Mm -hmm. So it allows the child to, I guess, have the time and space to really show that competence, knowledge, the theories, their ideas, test them out give them another go, revisit them rather before any sort of assessment, for instance, is done on them. Yeah. So I guess the two kind of melding ways that the, the inquiry-based planning works is it engages educators in this really sustained thinking, mm -hmm. but it sit, that thinking sits around what is current theory and practice that we're reading and learning about, yep. how are we collaboratively deciding what we're going to pinpoint down and research and then how do we develop really insightful documentation to share with our families about those learnings? Yeah. And then the second part, so that's kind of here. Yeah. And then the second part is leveraging from not the children's interests per se. I've been really reflecting on that children's interests, those two words together. I think yeah. um, my, my um, I guess, reflection sits around, I think we can, we can decide these interests so quickly based on what is potentially superficial play. They're not really interested in trains. They just love going over there and playing. They don't necessarily want to learn more about trains. They just really like playing right, with that. Playing and plays. Yeah, plays. The That's right. Or, or their best buddy. Yeah. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. Their best buddy goes there, so they go there yeah. too, you know. And so we've been really, um, I guess, challenging to talk about it as just children's emerging play, full stop, mm -hmm. rather than play interests, you know, those sorts of things. Yeah. And I guess that starts, when we start to really look at where their emerging play is, is, is evolving and growing, we know then that that's really relevant to them and we know that it has some meaning for them. And so therefore we're in a great place to get some really good information from them about they know, what they're learning about, you know, how they're constructing that information for us to then construct that documentation. Yeah. So it kind of really pushes educators away from kind of everyday practice and, and really makes them question every step of the way, yeah. what they're looking at, what they're thinking about and what they're writing about. Yeah, so you've still got, maybe paint me a picture. So an ordinary day, we've still got those children who are going off and playing with the trains and they're playing in their dress ups yeah. and all that typical, as we call it, free play is still occurring. It's, I suppose, more about the lens with which the adults are viewing. Yeah. So I think, yeah, I think, yeah, the key, I guess the key difference is rather than waiting to see where they play and writing a learning story and further planning from that, yep. this way, actually, the, the educators arrive and already have a research question or theory that they're actually going to be looking through. So they might watch the children, know that the children go over to this space where there's lots of blocks and trains and they do all this building. But as an educator, as a group of educators, there's a decision that's been made that, so for instance, at the moment, um, my team and I in term one, we're exploring and researching about how, if we understand trauma-informed practice better, can that enhance learning for all children? 
And so that's, so we've written a document around that and that's our base for our planning. So when the educators are actually recording information and documentation about what the children are engaging in, they're looking through, let me see where the children are socially engaging, emotionally coping. So our toddler room are really working on very strong, welcoming rituals. And that's all the planning is around, all of that. Absolutely, yes. And so then, you know, the documentation that's being shared with the families is is not about they played over here. It's actually about we set up this beautiful welcoming space and we've been incorporating this into it. And so these are how the children have been responding to that. And so it's it, it really moves away from waiting for children to do something for you to record it and coming in with some real strong purpose about what you're doing. And people ask me, oh, isn't that teacher-led? But it's not because we're... It's about watching where the children go and then bringing your lens to that space, not asking them to come to you to do the learning. Does that make sense? Yeah, no, it does. It was interesting um, before we got on to speak um, to record the interview, Tash and I were chatting on the phone. She's been down in a consult in Sydney. I've been in Newcastle, so we managed to catch up on the phone on my trip home. Um, Thank goodness for Bluetooth. makes life so much easier. Absolutely. Talking then about, you know, I was saying we were going to have a chat and I said, I'm really looking forward to hearing about it. And we're talking then about what impact that has on play. And, you know, we said, I know I found um, going back quite a few years ago now that when the the whole concept of like an emergent curriculum came about, um, yep. that's, we're probably looking at early 2000s, I suppose. Yep. Really a big thing. And um, I can remember having people say, well, okay, we need to do a project on that. So, you know, there'd be children that had shown an interest in the trucks. They were playing with the trucks. All of a sudden we're doing these long-winded truck projects and whatever, and we were yep. completely hijacking the children's play when all they really wanted to do was just play in the dirt with the trucks. But yeah. I think the difference is, from what you're sort of saying and, you know, what I perceive is that it's actually not about changing what we're doing with children it's changing the way we're thinking about it and the way we're documenting it and the meaning that we're making through that documentation. Because both Tash and I have discussed quite a bit recently that in many ways, the whole idea of programming and documentation is just a complete waste because we do so much, um, you know, she picked up the pen in her right hand in a palmer ground. Yeah. And, you know, then next week we're going to add these to the drawing table or whatever. Like it's very uninspired and, you know, mm. it's, it's just not meaningful. No. And, and yeah, that's right. And, and I think, um, you know, it, it's, Educators have to extend themselves from everyday practice. You know, for me, that's the commitment you, you need to make as an educator. I certainly do that myself and all my educators do that too. And we've got to be able to question, I guess, the thinking that sits behind all these decisions we're making about the way we set the room up, the activities people are planning to do, the the realities of those, you know, um, you know, putting out a, a structured art activity is not a creative process. It's a, it's a follow and instruction process. And so I think for me, it's shifting educators from um, writing a list of things they're going to do today in terms of activities to, to potentially fill in, you know, an organization or a center's <laughs> requirement box area, you know, and, and um, you know, we, our, our, templates per se are blank sheets 
you know, and so it, that's where they start because they, they, you know, we don't need to define things in all this time frames and this, that, and everything else. And I think it's happened that way because of the interpretations of things like the EYLF and the National Quality Standards and prior to that, the NCAC. Yeah. And I think what happens is people um, that they start at the, they, they go to the standard, they go to quality area one, and then they create a form or a template for each of those elements. Yeah. This programming goes the opposite. Yeah. So it's developed around what is believed and, um, you know, continues to evolve hopefully into best practice and the best way in which we can document children. And then it's mapped back yep. to the quality area one. Yeah. And so, you know, and it's interesting because it hits every target, you know, we didn't, don't, you don't even have to look at that because if, if what you're doing is really considered and thought through, you'll be, you know, you'll be hitting all of those targets. Right. And I think also, I said much the same thing yesterday in a training session. We were talking about programming for babies and I said, what you watch children play and they meet those outcomes. They, you know, all those things that we're looking for happen when children have time and space to play and when we're actually open to seeing that, you know, when we've got that lens. Yes. What am I seeing? What does it mean? You know, why is this valuable? I wonder, I wonder, I wonder then all those things, it's like tick, 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 tick. Without ticking boxes, you ticked boxes. You know, you didn't yeah. need to, but you just did. And I think I get frustrated when people do it the other way around. They've set out to, we need something that's going to tick that box. What can I start with going to tick that box? Yeah. Children do X, Y, or Z. And I guess that's that a lot of that happens because of the frameworks that people work in. And when I say framework, I mean you know, they're doing like the portfolios, they're doing an individual observation every month because there's an interpretation that the quality standard says you have to do that. Yeah. But it doesn't say that. That's just one way of, it's not wrong, but it's just but it's one way of doing it. Yeah, and, and I think, you know, I know when I talk to people and they go, what do you mean we don't have to do that? And I said, well, it, that's one way. That's the way your service or your organisation has made a decision about how you're going to meet some of those criteria in quality area one. I've made a decision to meet them in a different way and, um, and have been through the process twice. So, you know, it, it's, it's, um, there's, a, there's a true um, belief that people should have that there isn't genuinely just one way and, and you, don't, you can actually challenge those norms. Absolutely. Well, that leads mm. perfectly into the next question, which was around the portfolios and traditional observations. So you've stopped doing those kind of traditional things how did that come about? What was the process like? Were there any challenges to doing that? Yes, yes. Yes, yes, yeah. and yes. <laughs> um, it's probably been probably nearly six years now since, yep. since um, we made the decision as a team. And I guess the way it kind of came about was I had done, I, I, I'm constantly reflecting and, and I've been really questioning the purpose of, and the, and the purpose and what the outcome of the portfolios really meant and we'd all not felt right with them for a while but we also um and we we're really really wanting to shift it but we needed some time i guess to kind of go well what if we don't do it <laughs> what does it look like, like? we're not doing that yeah 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 that's right so so i guess for us we had to really understand why we did them first so that we could then find something else to actually make sure that we're you know doing that so that's sort of how it started and then i guess um we, we wanted to make sure that um, we were engaging children 
sorry, second to that was we were doing these amazing projects and with children and their portfolios did not emulate this amazing work that was happening because it was so fragmented. There was, you know, individual stories or there was group stories. But as a parent, you really had to piece that book together to really understand the start to finish of a project. And it really just didn't sit right with me. It just kept making me feel like this is kind of not the way to go. So we work um, around, you know, many, many, many um, theories and, and um, uh, I guess, theorists and theories at, at Rosie's. But Malaguzzi and Vygotsky's work are probably what I would say the two pinnacle things that really make us think about what we're doing in that we know that and we believe that that community of learners is just a wonderful way to, to, for children to actually blossom, you know, as a, as a learner and as a citizen and all of those things. And so we had to start asking, well, if we're, if we really believe that, why are we documenting children in isolation? You know, we, we, this is what we're planning and programming and we're working under this amazing philosophy and do these really wonderful things, but we're actually, rep, we're, we're representing the children individually. And so it was kind of like hypocritical, if that makes sense. Yeah. And so, so that, so that got us kind of moving. So with educators, I guess, um, you know, it, it, it was a combination of collaboration and reflection, but also some instruction. So my role in that was, we, we, as I said, we'd been reflecting and really challenging each other around it for you know, a number of meetings. And then um, we, we made a decision we were gonna try something different. And so my, my role at that point was, I came up with something to start. And that's how it was presented to the team. This is where we're starting. We'll give this a shot for three months and then we'll come back and then we'll tweak it and keep evolving from there. So that was kind of how it came about. And um, I guess um, I've learned over the years about in my recruitment about recruiting the right people to work in my service because they, they actually have to be people who are really comfortable with change. Yep. And really comfortable to go, okay, well, you know, five years ago, that was fantastic, but we're moving away from that now. And I'm excited. I'm not, I'm not even really scared. I'm just excited. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Absolutely. So, um, so that, that um, was a fairly simple process in that sense. Mm -hmm. So then, of course, we had to um, inform families. And interestingly, I found this a really simple process as well, because I, my kind of thinking around families as partners is, they can't really give feedback on something until they see what the alternative actually is. So if we had said to them straight up, we're going to do a survey to see, you know, whether you want us to stop doing portfolios and, and then you'll just receive something at the end of term. Of course they would have said, no, no, uh, no, we don't want to do that. Um, but we knew if we could show them what we wanted to do, that we, we were very confident that they would say, actually, this is so much better. And that's exactly exactly what happened. So we just presented it to families by saying, we're going to make some change. This is what it's going to look like. At the moment, we just need you to buy into this for this three months. And then once you've had time to read it, then um, we'll be putting out an extensive survey asking for lots of feedback around, you know, um, the process, the change, all those things. And then we'll be deciding, you know, because we did that in like um, a term four and, and we said, you know, and then obviously we'll be deciding how we move forward for the new year. So to do that meant that they knew what the portfolios were and then they had this opportunity to see this term ebook, and um, that it was overwhelming, one overwhelming amount of people that gave feedback because that's a struggle in itself. <laughs> but, but two, 
there was just complete positive feedback about it. And so... It probably speaks volumes about, you know, the culture of us in your families and that development of relationships because if you've got families who are prepared to say, you know what, we do trust you, do something different for the next three months because essentially that's what you're asking is trust us and we're going to provide you with something that's meaningful for your child and what essentially you're asking them to give up what they already know, what they've come to expect, what parents ask for all the time, you know, when will I get their portfolio, you know, that kind of thing. You're asking them to give that up and I think that probably indicates, you know, a strong culture, you know, a, a strong family culture and family connection that if you didn't have that, it probably would have been quite difficult to implement such a change. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, and I think it's, it's about how you approach it too. I think when you're really um, honest with families to say, you definitely are going to have a voice in this. You know, it, we're, not, we're not stopping your voice. We just need to give you further information so that you can have an informed voice yeah. rather than just, you know, an emotional voice or... Yeah, that's right. And I, I think what happens, um, you know, a lot of the times is there's, you know, surveys or um, feedback is given out to families, but, but families really can't see what the alternative would be. So they're not prepared to give something up. And quite often the things that educators are doing is just, they're just, they're time restraint things. They, 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 you know, they take a lot of time and they're not, we don't even do, we don't even have daily information that's put together for families, you know, or it's, we just, parents come in and I always say to, because um, we have new families that come and they say, oh, do you do Story Park? And I'm like, no, we don't do any online program. No. Oh, how will I know, you know, what's been happening? And, oh, well, we're old school. We'll talk to you. you know? <laughs> <laughs> like, you know, we'll say, Hi, how are you going? This is what I want to tell you about your child. And that's... A roster, yep. Is designed, but someone will be here. Yeah, we've become so reliant on those sorts of systems and programs and, you know, apps and things that are going to inform parents. But actually, you know what really informs parents? Having a relationship with a parent. You know, I was at a service recently and they said about um, having not having name tags. And I said, you know what? I don't mind that you don't have name tags. I said, because they said, oh, they, um, you know, the children, a particular the babies end up with their faces scratched from the name tags. And mm-hmm. they, they said, oh, we just, uh, our, our manager said, oh, maybe we should have name tags so the parents know who we are. I said, if you need name tags for the parents to know who you are, <laughs> you know that's a sign of a much bigger problem that's not a reason to keep them that's right relationship with those families you'll give them that information they'll ask for that information you'll have more connection i think that's where it's it's good to hear that people are doing things like that because so many services that we're just bogged down in paperwork we can't actually oh absolutely absolutely down in the paperwork and, you know, I always say, you know, it, it essentially buys one educator, um, you know, a, a, one educator, it buys you back nearly two and a half hours of your week yep. if you don't have to do a daily write-up, you know, which yeah. most families don't read. Nope. They only look at the photos. And so, yeah, and, and educators feel that way. So yep. there's a frustration with it because no one's reading it and, you know, that's right. And I guess the best quote I, I think in the early years learning framework, I think it's on page 15 and it says, we should not continue with traditions just because they've been done that way. Yeah. You know, it's, it's the best line to reflect on why are we still doing this when every day 
in my head as an educator, I'm thinking, I hate doing this. Yeah, <laughs> my parents don't read it. I know even as a parent, you know, my children are all now in school, but, you know, particularly when the youngest was um, still there and there'd be the daily program and it'd get emailed to us or it'd be on an app or it'd be available to read when I got there. I never read it. And I'm an educator. Yeah. I read it. And I didn't read it because I was like, you know what? I trust that she's had a great day. She's covered in mud. She's happy. She's eaten. She's slept. She's, I'm sure if something amazing happens, you'll tell me or she'll tell me. And I just never read that stuff. And yeah. you know, I, I used to feel guilty sometimes because I'm like a lot of work goes into that. But as you say, you know, you've got to, as a service, why are we investing so much time in something that's really not serving anyone? You know, it's not serving Yeah, and it's interesting. Like I, I have a, um, well, some people have told me this is a controversial thing that I say, but it's not, I don't see that it's my role um, to inform the extended family members of that child about their day. Mm -hmm. Like, I think, you know, because, uh, you know, some, some educators or, or, and families are saying, well, you know, my mum lives in England and, you know, she loves looking at, you know, what's online every day. And so, yeah. well, okay, I, I love that. That's fantastic. But that's actually not my job. Yeah. You know, it's actually not my job to inform grandma in England, you know, because it's taking away from my ability to slow down and really get to know your child or, you know, to have some time to, to actually not just do a process for a process, but actually think about it and reflect on it and, you know, and write some stuff and talk with my colleagues about it rather than rush, 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 rush. And so many educators just feel under the pump all the time. And yeah. I guess, again, that, you know, there's a, there's a feeling that, well, this is what you have to do to be able to pass accreditation or whatever, but it's actually not like it's one way. And again, it's not wrong, but yeah. it's only one strategy. And yeah. you, you know, you just, you have to be able to share how you're going to communicate with families. And, um, you know, we've got great walls of um, panel documentation. We've got great conversations with our families that, that, you know, and at the end of the term, they get an amazing ebook and that's how we communicate, you know? And so it's, it's really just trying to get people to think a little bit deeper than, you know, what kind of they've been doing the whole time, particularly when a team's saying, oh, we hate it, you know? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> if you've got team resistance, it's like you're just flogging a dead horse every time. Absolutely. And, and you know what? When somebody's so, I'm feeling like that, there is a guarantee quality won't be at its highest. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I mean, what because of the educator. Yeah. Yeah. It's just reality. Get burnt out. People get burnt yeah. out at such a high rate because what we do requires so much in ourselves that if you're giving all of yourself and then you're spending all your all of your time, you know, I've worked with many educators who are like, oh, I'm doing all the programming at home. And I'm like, man, no, <laughs> no, that's not how you should be spending your time. Um, but yeah, no. the pressure. And I think it's, it, yeah, it's refreshing to hear someone say, you know what, we don't have to do that. Yeah, definitely not. So are there definitely any challenges not. to work in this sort of way? Yeah, and you know what I um this was a great question for me because I was really thinking about what 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 are what are the sort of the top challenges that I would sort of identify. But I think what I what I kind of came up to is I think the biggest challenge for educators with this is 
that the writing and the workload is actually less. Mm -hmm. So first and foremost, people feel like they're not doing enough and they feel guilty about that. So there's a, there's a whole, I call it the therapy session, you know, where, <laughs> where I have to work through that. Okay, so when you, yeah, when you, when you say in your head, this doesn't feel enough, yeah. I would say, well, that's when you're kind of on the right track, right? And so that's the first one. Then the second challenge, I think, is that rather than just um, educators having to output, and by that I mean just come up with ideas and activities and things, which I'm certainly not dismissing as, um, as something that's really easy, but it's still a process. You can Google up things. You can go, some people, you know, go to Pinterest or whatever. Yeah. What this planning framework does is it makes educators think yeah. so much harder and they have to, you know, and so it's it's about really deeply thinking. And that is harder than coming up with a list of activities to oh, it's do. It's easy to find, you know, if you think, okay, there's children that are interested in trucks, as you say, jump on Pinterest, jump on Google, you'll find, you, you know, you can find anything. We can find a small world set up. We can find art experiences. We can find songs. We can find stories. You know, you name it. You can find anything to... And, and I think that's where people fall into a trap of it becoming quite... They go from all, this is an interest, to all of a sudden it turns into a theme. And I'm taking yeah. my own preschool days of, you know, the 80s. Yep. When <laughs> everything yep. was a theme. You know, there were yep. all these themes. What this week it's summer. week and, you know, next yep. week it's truck week or whatever. And... I think it's slippery slope from we're exploring an interest to actually we're just doing a theme. Yeah. And I think the thing what happens is, is that when they move away from, from the comfort of that, mm -hmm. that it's, it's then becomes this research of the children's emerging play mm -hmm. and they're starting to source deeper understanding around thinking processes, how children make decisions, children's mental health, Yep. Um, their emotional capacity, their resilience, as well as their growth and their development. Yep. And I think, I think kind of what happens a lot is that the last one is the thing that everybody just stays focused on is development yep. and growth. And because the other things are not tangible, mm. they're conceptual. And so there's a relationship that has to be built there. There's a lens you've got to look through to really dig deeper and find out that information. Um, you know, it's not about whether they did it or they didn't do it you know it's yeah. it's you know that's easy to write a learning story about that stuff that you know but it, at the end of the day those learning stories are five or ten minute snapshots of a child's day and then then people you know take away even the I guess what I believe is the child's rights by then saying well I'm going to assess how well you did that by telling you what you've linked with and I think, you know, when you ask an educator, would you like me to come in? I'll just watch you for 10 minutes and then I'll give you a report on how well I think you're going. Yeah. No one would agree to that because no. it wouldn't give a true picture. But yeah. we continue to document children that way and we continue to assess them that way as well. Yeah. Because the other thing that Quality Area One um, uh, doesn't say is that you have to actually analyse every piece of documentation every time you do it. So, you know, this, this um, inquiry program over time and yet absolutely. That's what's happening in a large number of cases, it's not about a picture over time. It's, and they'll analyze each picture and plan from that picture and whatever, but they're not building a whole story. 
No. And so we call that clustering documentation and that's where that slow down part comes into it because, you know, we have to collate rich documentation then and only then when we've got a really good body of evidence, uh, we really can kind of critique it against not just learning and growth and um, social, emotional elements, the EYLF, whatever, but also around for us around what we've actually talked about is our research. Mm -hmm. So this is what we wanted to really understand deeper about these groups of children. Now, what's the documentation truly told us, both individually about that child and collectively as a community of learners? And so I think that's the challenge is that is so conceptual that, you know, particularly very linear learners, you know, that, that you know, that they, um, that it's a real struggle because you're, this is, and I guess I come all the way back then to the first thing I said was the environment. Because yep. I don't need to set up paint or I don't need to set any of those things. I don't need to set up blocks. I don't need to set up, you know, cars, trains, sandpit toys, obstacle courses. And I certainly don't need to write them up as a program because they are what we call our basic right. environment. It's just They're like there all the time. Yeah. Why do we plan it's for that every single week, week when that's what happens? That's just what always happens. That's right. And so when you've got boxes or you've got activities to fill in, you, you run out, you know, about April, I would say. <laughs> about April, you run out. You know? what are doing now? <laughs> yeah, so it's like, oh my God, where do we go from here? So um, I think it's, 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 I believe anyway, it's a very genuine and, and a, um, a very genuine and equal partnership of the child and the educator, well, the child and family and the educator. Yep. I think. The, the other ways of planning, um, it, it, it's really, it is dominated actually, you know, by the child's interest, which quite often is not correct. And so then teachers have to use those Pinterest apps and things because it's not, you know, they've got to keep it going, you know, because they've got to do something. Yeah. Yeah, that's interesting. What do you think the benefits are of this approach for children, for families, for educators? Yeah, I think, I think definitely for children, um, it really provides them with a platform um, to be able to advocate their own knowledge, understanding, you know, their right as a learner. And, and I think it, because you're creating strategies that just keep drawing out this wonderful parts of them, they themselves then start to really understand where their strengths are. And I think, you know, every early childhood educator would probably agree with me in saying the more little tools we can pop in a toolkit before they go to school yeah. and build some resilience, the better. And yeah. so I think, I think for the children, it actually genuinely provides them with a cycle of learning that is about having an idea, but that initial idea being your, that just that it's an issue. It's an initial idea. And it's okay. Cause what we do in human nature is we come back and we revisit that and we keep building on it. And we learn from others and we listen to our peers. And, and so when you're in that space, with the children, the, the you know they they are actually self-assessing their own intelligence, if that makes sense. You know that you can see it on their face. You can see when they come up with an idea and they think, I don't even know where that came from. But God, that was amazing! Cool. I've just surprised myself. Yeah, I think we're and I think this sometimes too. Something I know like, exactly. Where did that come from? <laughs> So true. So true. Or you're working with someone, you go, oh my God, that's such a good idea. We've never thought of that. Yeah. You know, and that's, that's how we grow and learn. And so I think this, one of the big benefits of this planning with for children is that, and the other is that 
it engages them in both multidisciplinary, transdisciplinary, and that polysensorial kind of learning. Um, and Claudia Gudici talked about it at, um, I think it was a 2015 Reggio conference. She came over and she was one of the keynotes and she talked about it in this disciplinary kind of way. And you know, that there are many ways that children learn. And so that's that hundred languages. But we as educators have to respect that then they integrate those languages together. So if our environment doesn't actually support the fact that they might learn in multiple ways to start with and that they might blend those together, then we're never gonna see the best out of them. And so I think that's the real benefit. Yeah. Um, for families, I think it, it is giving them a very genuine story about their child as a citizen in, a, in, in the space, you know? Who are they as a person? You know, not 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 what they play with. Yeah. Yeah. Who are they as a person? And I, I certainly know from our families the feedback we get. Um, you know, is um, they're, they're astonished by the detail and what they learn about their child, mm -hmm. which is which is exactly what we want to be doing, advocating that competence for children. So I feel like the documentation then really, um, you know, genuinely does that. It really advocates that that confidence of a child. And I think for educators, it's meaningful first, and that's so important. Um, there's partnerships. Um, so we work at, you know, the whole idea of this framework is about all the lead educators of rooms actually deciding on a collective research focus, not different ones in different rooms. So as a team, you're actually all working together on understanding something in more depth through children's play. Yeah. So you're not, you just don't feel like you're isolated away from everybody or trying to manage everything on your own. You've got people, you've got common language, you've got common discussions. You know, it's, it's a very supportive kind of space. Yeah. Um, and I think it, it, it's, um, it brings educators into a space where they start to successfully adapt their practice and grow and develop. And that's really, as I said, right at the start as well, that we all need to be doing that. You know, we, that's so important, yeah. Oh, that's amazing. Just a quick question before we do start to wrap it up. How, what does it look like with say infants and toddlers? Is it different? I mean, as you're talking, I can imagine this all so easily with older children, with preschoolers. Preschoolers we know are more than happy to share everything they know about everything and everything they want to know. And, you know, they really kind of, they give a lot in that regard. But when you're working with those younger children, what sort of implications might there be there? Or is it, is it trickier with younger children? Is it just different? I'll say, I wouldn't say trickier, I'd, I'd say different. Um, it, you know, I think it's about the educators working with those young children, um, at, the younger children, and, and not watering down a preschool program for them. Yeah. And being really, really confident to put up on a planning board or whatever it might look like, we're actually building relationships. That's our plan. That's what we're yeah. doing. So here's our beautiful learning environment. Yeah, here's our environment. We're not going to write up that we're doing, you know, whatever we're doing. This is what it is. Because, yeah. And so um, I think it, it means educators, what, what they have to do is shift in the younger rooms from activities and, and, and not feel like they've got to do that all the time and have a thousand paintings up on the walls and all of that and shift their lens to actually engaging and interacting. And so... You know, it's, I think, 
the way in which the program is written is about actual intentional strategies that the educators are going to use in particular parts of the room rather than an activity they're going to do. So, for example, one of the things um, that, that our 15-month um, room is doing at the moment around um, the educators getting some more understanding about trauma is um, in the outdoor environment, the, the, the beautiful little yarning circle that we've got set up the intentional planning is that they've actually broken it down to a bit of a smaller area because a lot of the children have just started. We start at 15 months and so they're very new, yep. um, new to the centre, yeah. Um, and so the, the, the intentional planning has been a redesign, let's say, of parts of the environments. And there's three or four parts of the environment that's been redesigned for that. What they're documenting is, and, and they've written that up as they're planning and what they're and shared that with families and what they're documenting is about how the children actually engage and respond. Mm -hmm. Not not even what they, they do what they're doing. Yeah. They're actually just writing about the emotions, the the engagement, you know, whether they're interacting together, whether they're interacting with the educator, you know, that sort of stuff. And so it takes a really strong educator to not feel the pressure of having to do an activity or send a painting home mm -hmm. with, with the child, you know, at least once a week. But that just doesn't happen. Yeah. So I think Hearing you say that is so reassuring. I do quite a bit of training around programming, particularly for babies. And that's, like, yep. that's the message that I'm saying each and every time. And, you know, you have those educators saying, oh, all we're doing is the care stuff, the routines and, you know, just comforting sad babies and, you know, picking them up and giving them bottles and getting them to bed. And I'm like, and there's your program, like that's yeah. and you're being intentional in how you respond to them, and that's the stuff you document. And no, it's it shouldn't be harder than that. It doesn't need to be harder. Yeah, than that. I think I think um, whether it be consciously or subconsciously, I think educators who are reflecting like that and and um, they they the value is not there about relationships. It, yeah. It, Maybe in in um, in voice and in conversation, it might be there. But I think when people are really questioning those things, they really have to think about whether they are the right person to work in a nursery. Yep. Because though, and you would you would have met them as well. Those special people who work with children two and under, when they're the right people, they they their conversation is you know, my director wants me to do more painting, but I really need to spend time with this baby, right? It's the opposite conversation. And so, you know, I think, it, I think, and that's that watered down preschool program that we have to make sure we're resisting from, you know? Yeah. They're completely different ages and stages. Absolutely. And they should, and the, and the whole thing should, that's right. It should, it should look different. It shouldn't look the same. Yeah, absolutely. This has been so good. I found this interesting and I could probably talk to you all afternoon, but I'll, we'll have to stop. But uh, before we do wrap up, I would love to know um, who or what your top three inspirations are. You've kind of mentioned a couple of things along the way, but if you could pinpoint a top three things that kind of have inspired the way you work, um, we'd love to know a little bit more about them. Yeah, I think um, I'd have to say that the first thing, I've done two study tours to the schools of Reggio and the first one was in 2000, which was quite a long time ago now. And I remember, I distinctly remember um, when we went to visit the centres um, and the children were, and the educators were there. And I was sort of just, it, it was like I was standing in awe of something. And I realised at the time I'd found my people. Like, I, you know, I just... <laughs> I couldn't understand anything they were saying. 
<laughs> but I found my people, you know. And it's like you speak like, completely different language, but we're still. Yeah. I get it. I get you. <laughs> um, and and I I just I I had done so much reading and research, probably up to five years before I went, um, and loved it, and really knew that I would enjoy it. But going there just inspired me incredibly, and and I really feel like it it. Um, it made me push myself so much further than perhaps what I might might have done. Yep. And then I was lucky enough to go back there in 2012. So for me, being able to have um, a reflection against my notes from 12 years apart was really inspiring as well. I wrote similar comments without looking at my notes that I wrote, which were handwritten in 2000 and then on my iPad in 2012. <laughs> When I went back and I actually critiqued them against each other to kind of look at where my thinking was in 2000 yeah. and then my thinking in 2012, I was really inspired from myself that I had similar thinking, just obviously, you know, had implemented things in interim times and understood more. So yeah. those two trips definitely are the highlights of my career so far, definitely. Yeah. And in 2017, I was part of a community project in Logan called The Promise Project. And we were um, lucky enough to go to Jeffrey Canada's Harlem Children's Zone in New York. Um, and we spent three full days with the Harlem Children's Zone Institute and all the people that work there. And it's a space where vulnerable and the most disadvantaged children, you know, per se in the world or in, certainly in America, are given education as a right rather than a dream yep. and they get they get children right through to college and graduate and it was just one of the most inspiring things I've ever been to in my entire life um, and and very humbling and very perspective kind of you know for me growing and I think I came back and I've since then I was very integrated into the community before that definitely which is part of the reason I got to go but I came back and it's just been guns blazing <laughs> since then. <laughs> um, I just feel so inspired by this man. He's just incredible what he's done and, you know, had to, yeah, it just, it's just unbelievable what he's done in Harlem and how he's changed so many children's lives um, is incredible. And I think lastly, I, I couldn't go past the children. They genuinely inspire me every day. To, to feel the sense of responsibility to be at my best. So regardless of what's happening around me in my life, outside, whatever, when I walk through the door of my centre, it is my responsibility to always provide them with the best that I can be. And, um, and they inspire me to do that. And, and so, yeah, I guess I, had to, I could probably talk about a thousand more things, but if I have to pull it down to three... <laughs> They would, they would probably be the three that I would say, yeah. Beautiful. Well, thank you so much. It's been so lovely to chat to you and to find out more about this sort of way of planning. But also I think it's probably going to maybe give some people some confidence to push back a little bit and maybe try something a little bit different to stop saying, well, you know what, we have to do it this way. We have to do it this way. We, yeah. We've always done that. Parents expect portfolios or, you know, whatever. But it's going to hopefully, you know, listening to you talking about that and how successful it's been for your service is going to give them some confidence to actually try something a bit different, you know, step outside that yeah. a little bit and, you know, just make a difference, you know, make it a bit more meaningful, make it enjoyable. And, you know, for me, being engaged in, you know, research as an educator and with children, that keeps me going. Like that, Absolutely. You know, I'd, it can be 
as much as I always loved, you know, working in the room with the children, and it can be a hard job. We all know that, you know, it can be mentally draining, emotionally draining, physically draining. Yeah. But when there's things like that, I just get buzzed about it. It's like, oh, I want to know. I want to know what they're doing. I want to know what they're thinking. I wonder about, you know, it keeps you up. And I think hopefully, yeah. you know, this sort of that way of thinking, I think people can really take a lot from that. Oh, I hope so. <laughs> Beautiful. Thank you. So, thank you um, for the opportunity to share. Yeah, I appreciate no, it. It's been great. So, can people find Rosie's? Is Rosie's online? Yep. So we've got, um, so there's a Facebook page and our centre website. Yep. And there's also the Rose Way has got a Facebook page and a yep. website yeah, as well. So, yeah. so people can find out more all about it and see how it's working. Yeah, and they can get in touch if there's any questions or whatever. They can get in touch through all those mediums, definitely. Beautiful. All right. Well, thank you so much. I'll leave you to Great the talking, rest of your Wednesday afternoon. And I'll thank make you. sure I you know, head off to pick up my children from school. Just <laughs> better not work. Need more Nicole in your life? Here's how to find her. InspiredEC.com, InspiredEC on Facebook, or at Inspired underscore EC on Instagram. You can also visit PlayVolutionHQ.com slash podcasts slash inspired to leave a comment or ask a question. Thanks for listening. Need more Nicole in your life? Here's how to find her. InspiredEC.com, InspiredEC on Facebook, or at Inspired underscore EC on Instagram. You can also visit PlayVolutionHQ.com slash podcasts slash inspired to leave a comment or ask a question. Thanks for listening. Hey, we need your support to keep the podcasts flowing. Go to explorationsearlylearning.com slash support to learn how. One of the big things you can do is shop Amazon with the link we provide. You buy your cat food, you buy your kids' books, you buy whatever it is you buy on Amazon, you pay the regular price. We get a small percentage of it. Everybody wins. A lot of people are doing it. It really supports the shows, and we really appreciate it. Give it a try. Thanks. This has been an Explorations Early Learning Upstairs Studio production. Oh.